I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Ali, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Ali, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. Now, on to my episode with Tiffany Harden. What human beings need are networks, and you need tribes. And so I think that I didn't know, I didn't have language for this at the time, but I knew I needed to build a tribe. I knew I needed to build a network of people who were like me and had similar interests like me and were about that life. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast, a podcast highlighting the superstars behind your favorite superstars and creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, Tiffany Harden. Tiffany is one of my dear friends who's worked with some of the heaviest hitters in hip hop. She started her career interning for hip-hop manager and talent scout John Monopoly. She later became the assistant to Mona Scott Young. And for those who may not know who Mona Scott Young is, she co-founded Violator Management with Chris Lighty, which managed artists that we all know and love, like Missy Elliott, Mariah Carey, Q-Tip, and more. After working alongside Mona Scott, she began working alongside music industry heavyweight Steve Stout at the creative agency Translation. She later struck out on her own to found her own management company, Guild Creative Group. In this episode, Tiffany stops by to chat about her life, career, and the lessons she's learned along the way. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the manager, entrepreneur, marketing expert, my friend, the silent giant, Tiffany Harden. (laughs) Tiffany, what up? Hi. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing all right. Welcome back, back. (laughs) I know. Redo. You were one of my first interviews and I sucked. Oh, no. I wouldn't say that. But I did request. You did a great job. You did a great job. I did request. I was like, bro, you done got all good. Yeah. We got to do another one of these. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, through editing the show, I've gotten a little bit better. I knew, like, yeah. Welcome back. I'm so happy to get your story (laughs) right. I'm much better now. I'm actually talking. See, I knew there was the interview. I knew there was a reason why you didn't put that interview out. No, yeah, I was waiting. <laughs> I was like, seriously, like, you know, well, you know, also too, it serves like your audio resume. I want to get it right. Sure. I'm not gonna put out something just to put it out. Like this yeah. represents people who nine times out of ten, they're not they're not 
you know, Kanye, they're not getting interviewed all the time. Yeah. So they're, this interview is very, very important Totes. to folks behind the scenes. All, so all the way. Welcome back. Yay, it's good to be back. Don't call it a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> and so, so I want to get your story. Let's, let's start all the way back from the beginning because you're from Chicago. I'm not. Whoa, wait, you're not from Chicago. You lived in Chicago for I a did. long time. College. Wait, where are you from? Good question. Um, I grew up all over the place, but mainly uh, Texas. Okay. Dallas, Texas. I will. This is what I represent. This is what I'll say. I represent Dallas, Texas. Okay. I represent a little town called Nino, Wisconsin. That's where I spent my high school years. Okay. And then um, that's what got me to Chicago. And um, I represent Chicago as well. So I will always wrap those three places hands down. Okay. So, so you're American. I'm a I'm a regular I'm a regular <laughs> black American. <laughs> so so what, who do you identify with as far as like a sports team? Do you follow sports? Cowboys. Cowboys. Oh come on. How about them cowboys? Come on, how, just just don't do that to me. I mean, the stadium was literally like every time I would have to go home in Capel, Texas. That's where I used to live. Uh, we would have to pass the stadium, which happened to be in Irving at the time before right. I moved to. Arlington, but I was a fan, you know, when they were in their heyday, when it was Dion and Emmett and Troy and all that good stuff. And then, um, you know, I, you know, Chicago Bills, Bulls, of course. I mean, I can't even identify with sports now, actually. I just, it's not my, really my jam. Like, I can't be like, did you catch game three? Like, I'm, I, I, let me not even front like that. Well, also, but, we're, we're busy people. Yeah. You have time for that. I was, I was like, oh, it's the finals? But, Question mark? But I will give you a pass on Dallas because you're allowed to be a Dallas fan if you're from Texas or around the Dallas area. Yeah. Oh, I was definitely in Dallas. So it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. That was in the DMV Now, my, my folks in D.C., I got a problem with you. Ooh. But it's okay. <laughs> That's funny. So I spent most of my time... Um, a lot of people think I'm from Chicago, actually, because of, you know... Well, I associate where, you with... Yeah, a lot of people do. A lot of people do because I, I do think that when you are in college, you grow, you, that's where you light up, you know, and your wings start to unfold. And so that's a, that's a strengthening period in your life. And, you know, Chicago definitely changed me. And I'll tell you why. Um, I grew up in, you know, suburbs, you know, I grew up in white suburbs and, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Yay. Good education. And <laughs> such. Nothing wrong with that. And nothing wrong with that. But what happens is, is when you're a young black person and you're not raised in, you know, really diverse areas, um, you can, you know, you can sort of lose sight of like culture, your culture and what's going on in your culture. So when I was living in Dallas, I didn't realize how you know great it was because, um, you know, we had, you know, hip hop and R&B on a regular basis. You know, mm-hmm. I moved to Wisconsin. Nobody was playing hip hop and R&B. Mm. There were no stations. There were no stations playing hip hop and R and B until Country Grammar came out, and that was a significant amount of time to be in living somewhere where that wasn't the case. So, and, um, and what? What? Um, why did the move happen from from Dallas to Wisconsin? Because my dad's really great at his job. Okay, um, I was more of like a corporate ladder brat. So, um, my dad he uh, is an executive, and he worked. At the time, uh, for Kimberly Kimberly Clark, which makes tissues mm-hmm. and Kleenex and stuff, and so um, he's great at building teams and building systems and making them run more efficiently. So, okay. whenever he did it in one place, they'd be like, "Go do it over there." And so that's what he did, and that's what made the move happen. Um, I was not a happy camper. I mean, Dallas was the lie. Dallas was it. 
when I was growing up. And I basically went from kids coming to school in their beamers and their little baby shirts and all this stuff to walking through school and I saw just like tie-dye shirts with little teddy bears on them and I was in long hair and moccasins and I was like, what the, what is this? Now, are you like in, in Madison? Or? Oh, no, because that's where be, black people live in Milwaukee and Madison. Milwaukee, okay. Um, I was not there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I literally actually was just having, um, I was having dinner with someone uh, and this guy was like, oh yeah, Wisconsin, I used to live in Milwaukee. And I was like, oh yeah, I used to live in Wisconsin too. He's like, oh yeah, where? And I told him, I, was, I lived in a place called Nina, Wisconsin. He said, I have never heard of that place. And I said, because no black people live there. And um, it was funny because, I mean, there were a few, few people. I can count them on my hand. We're all friends on Facebook today. But, like, um, it was rare. It was really, really rare. And, and, and where is this, like, located? Is this close to It's forty five. It's 45 minutes south of Green Bay. And it's about two hours away from... Uh, one and a half hours yeah, away Green from Bay Milwaukee. Is the major, is, is the major city? <laughs> Green Bay is the major city wow. next to me. Yeah. Well, what's funny, too, was, like, I didn't realize how culturally relevant Wisconsin was because um, we were passing uh, a city it was called Oshkosh and that's I was like oh snap Oshkosh Bagash yeah, yeah. I was like oh my god and then I was like oh Green Bay Green Bay Packers oh like the football team oh my god like it was like one of those things where I was like I really didn't realize like those were actually real things. Yeah, <laughs> it's Oshkosh, Bagash, inspired by Oshkosh, Wisconsin. No, it's from there. Like that's that's where the company's from. Got it. Didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Okay, yeah, wait, <laughs> now I just learned something. You just learned something, um, and all of these like you know super um, Native American names like you know Waukegan, not Waukegan's in Illinois, but like Waukesha, Menasha, Kenosha, okay. Nina, shit like that. It's just like I learned a lot, but it wasn't enough. But I'm glad we're actually starting with Nina because that's where I knew I wanted to to work in the music business. Um, and it was really because, I, I, thank God for HBO, Deaf Comedy Jam, because that's where I got my black culture. Because <laughs> yeah. it wasn't coming from the radio. Um, I was really feeling, feeling away about it. Um, and uh, thank God for also MTV and having a great uh premium cable package uh shout out to my parents for that yeah because <laughs> i would be lost and, without and, it and dad making that paper yeah so daddy making that, that paper yes please give me hbo dad that was uh, always <laughs> back then yeah hbo right y'all want to come to my house or, or showtime and, and yeah we had all of it oh no yeah yeah skinamax cinemax skinamax i don't know what that is that's like you know at 12 o'clock at night when it was a oh, soft ain't nobody board. ain't nobody looking at skinamax i was on that <laughs> Trust me, they was watching it. <laughs> it wasn't me. Okay. Um, so so basically what happened was is, um I knew I wanted to work in, in the music industry, but I didn't I didn't know what it was called. I didn't have language for it. I want to yeah, work in the music how, industry. How did that comedy jam inspire inspire that? Not deaf. Comedy jam. Poetry jam. Wait, hold on. So that's when I fell in love with most deaf. There was poetry jam before there was wait, but Kanye did the poetry jam. Yeah, he did. He did. So um this is where I learned about Dave Chappelle is where I learned about most deaf. This is okay. where I learned about Talakwali and Kanye. And like, I'm telling you, there were, there, I didn't have <laughs> country grammar was what came on. <laughs> I had, Nelly I was didn't, Pac. I didn't know Nelly any was of Biggie. this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, what is yeah. this? Right. I didn't know anything. Um, so there, there was definitely like, if it was past like 99, I was like, I don't know what's going on. Um, and 
So that that is what led me to start going to record stores and you know finding things. It's like sounds like most stuff. If you like most stuff, you would like whatever. If you like this, you would like whatever. So I started getting into um, more music that way. And my parents actually are really into into music as well. And I didn't, I actually didn't realize how into music they were as compared to other people's parents until I started asking a friend of mine about like, oh yeah, remember when you were listening to this and that and that? And they're like, no, we didn't. Yeah. I was like, whose parents were you like raised by? <laughs> I like I like the OPP by the way. Other people's parents. Other people's parents. <laughs> so um, what ended up happening was I was like, man, what am I going to do in music? What am I going to do in music? And I knew I didn't want to, um, I knew I didn't want to teach music. I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, I was like, I loved writing. I loved singing. I was in everybody's choir, show choir, whatever. I was like, maybe I'll um, be a vocal performance major or do something like that. And um, I, my friend, who's still one of my best friends today, she is a very talented person, and she was visiting Chicago. And she's like, do you want to ride along and check out this school? I was like, sure. I've never been to Chicago before. I go to Chicago. Um, they have a vocal performance, you know, thing, which is cool. Um, and then this guidance counselor was like, yeah, 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 that's cool, that's cool. You know, you'll probably, you know, a lot of people do this. Like, you'll probably starve for a little bit. And I was like, starving? Nah. <laughs> like, that's what's not happening. And ended up, um, he told me about the music business program. I said, like, what's that? And uh, it was so beautiful because it wasn't, business courses and music courses. It was the music business and the industry. And you were, you know, around people that were in the industry. And so I said, you know what, that's what I want to do. And, um, I didn't actually really, really know that's what I wanted to do until I went back home. And, um, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I specifically remember watching Diddy's how to make the band and Phil Robinson came on TV and I was like, he was supposed to be the manager. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to do that. I was like, I can be a manager. I was like, I'm creative. I like music. I like talent. I like business. I like putting things together. I like connecting dots. I was like, I'm going to be manager. I'm going to be, you know, you just repeat things until it like set, settles in. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to be a manager. I'm going to be a manager. I'm going to be a manager. Like, so I then, um, it's funny when inspiration hits because it's like, you just, everything, just your mind goes. And so um, did all this research, bought like every Donald Passman book. I told my parents I wanted to go to school for music business and I wanted specifically to go to Columbia College Chicago. I my dad's like, why can't you do that in Oshkosh? I was like, nah, no one's doing that nah, in Oshkosh. Nah, nah, <laughs> nah, nah, pops. No. I was like, no disrespect to all my friends that are that did it in Oshkosh. I was like, but this ain't the same. I was like, nope. Yeah, because because were you experimenting at all with like getting your feet wet at all with music? As far as in the manager role in Oshkosh or in Wisconsin? No, so uh, in the um, in Wisconsin, there's the UW system of schools. Mm-hmm. So every major city, even though it's not really major, has a um, has a school. And Oshkosh had a music business program, but it wasn't the same thing. Okay. But to that end, when I decided that I wanted to be in the music business and I wanted to be in talent management, and I read all these Donald Passman books and law books and all the intro to music business books ever, um, I had a couple friends well they, and they were loose friends at the time now they're like my homies like inviting to my wedding whenever i have one uh, type people yeah and um i will never forget i was in high school and one of the guys was sitting um on the floor like most high schoolers do and uh you know i knew he was in a band and i said hey um so listen i 
I, I want to do this thing. It's, I want to manage your band. Um, and he said, well, what does that even, what does that mean? And I said, well, I'm going to work to, you know, get you more shows and put you on the radio and, um, you know, just or do your press kit and like organize the group so that people can know about it. And he's like, okay, let me talk to the guys. You know, it was so like pro business. Um, and they talked, he talked to the guys and uh, I became the manager of a high school band named Scarlet. Okay. And uh, that was my, I think this, this summer of my junior year going into my senior year. Um, <clears throat> and I loved it. I loved it. I got them a show in Milwaukee. With the big city, Uh-oh. big city, doing it big, doing it big. I got them on the radio, um, which was a big thing uh, then too. There was a lot of phone calls invested into that. Right, yeah. Because what's the process of that, of that time getting like an unknown band on the radio? Lots of phone calls, lots of emails, lots of you got it, you got it, you got it. I mean, you got it, you got it. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? Oh, let me follow back up. Like a lot of a lot of that kind of hustling. Um, and then and and then you know they had you know that time where it's like. You know the up and comers; they'll play that music for a little bit. You know, and right. um, you know, I was lucky; I was in a small market, so it was a little bit easier. But um, on a larger scale, you know, it was—I imagine it would be a lot harder. I mean, getting your yourself played on Hot ninety seven isn't as easy as like the brown sugar people make it seem. You right, know, exactly. watching that movie. But um, I will say that uh, that it was a very, very exciting time for me because it just gave me affirmation that I was moving in the right direction. And my parents really supported that. And, um, they ended up being a part of what I, um, their press kit and all the things that I did ended up being a part of what I submitted as a part of my application when I went to, to, to go, uh, to college. Um, I took the ACT. I'd never took the SAT. I was just not really bad. I was really great at school. I mean, I was great, great student, but I was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they were the reason, and music business was the reason I even wanted to go to college because I didn't want to go. I was like, I'm not going to do this if I don't, if I'm not passionate about it. So that took me to Chicago, which was an incredible experience for me um, because it was the first time I was in a big city like that um, on my own. Yeah, d- d- describe the move, uh, the move to Chicago for me. Um, it was like... You know, the, you know, like that scene in Mary Tyler Moore, everybody talks about when she like walks through the streets, she's like looking around, she's like, yeah, and like, she like throws her hat in the air or whatever. Like, that's how it felt in my head. Yeah. Um, the reality of that was probably like more windy and more. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like the hat didn't come down. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, where's the hat? Um, and, you know, I think for me, the mood was just like, this is the beginning of your life. Like, this is the beginning, you know, and I feel like there are several times in my life and now I'm able to actually recognize these moments where, um, God says to me very like poignantly, I'm going to change your life. And it's those times where I'm like, Oh shit, that's great. Like, so he'll make it really cool and restful. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to shake shit up. It's like, (laughs) it's like he's, he whispers that, um, and, and I sort of like move into that space, but it's always for, for a purpose. So when I moved to Chicago, I was really lucky because I actually got to move with my, my close friend that I actually went to visit the school with. And okay. so we, um, we moved in together uh, along with some two other girls. We became very, very close friends. And, you know, the school is different because it's, it's not a typical campus. You know, you live in apartment style housing, you're in the middle of the, the city and in the loop, um, in Printers Row really. And, uh, 
you are you are one with the city. There's no like here's this super dorm that's like off to the side. Well, now there is, but it's like off to the side and your meal plan and your whatever. Like that didn't go to Subway, go to Harold's Chicken Shack. That's your meal plan. <laughs> like yeah. well, spend you, your money. You know, what school did you go to? Uh, Columbia College, Chicago. Okay. So it was right on Michigan Avenue. There were several different buildings all around. It was it wasn't like just this you know, greenery and campus and whatever. That's not it. So it. you were a part of the city. I was a part of the city. There we go. They, they call it an urban campus. There we go. So, um, so in my, you know, my class schedule was, was really, was dope. And, you know, one of the things I realized early on was that I needed to be, I needed to be in the system in terms of like, I, I, I learned networking very early on. Um, I didn't realize it was networking just because I'm an introvert and I'm culturally curious and I like people, so I just talk um, and see what other people are into. But I also needed a job. So I ended up being, um, I ended up working in the department at my for my major. And so I met all my teachers before they were my teachers. I met everybody. I, I mean, thank God for that because I took finance and I knew damn well mm. I should have got an F on mm-hmm, that. And mm-hmm. he was like, you're going to get D plus. I was like, yes. So I passed, um, which you had to do in order to graduate. So, yeah. he, you know, he didn't even tell me anything like that. I just like looked at him and I was like, thank you. I like whispered, thank you. Yeah, is, that, is, that, is that unspoken? <laughs> is that unspoken? Like, you're the man. Because <laughs> I showed up for every class. He knew I was trying. It was just like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I don't get it. You're not going to make me get it. And Lord knows I'm going to hire an accountant. So there's that. <laughs> um, At any rate, but being in the department meant everything. And I knew that I wanted to be a manager, but I also knew I had to be under another manager to learn management. I I didn't think that I could just get talent and then be super manager. Um, And at the time... Which is a a very mature, like, stance to take at that point in your life. Because very few people... I didn't really recognize the importance of mentorship um, until, I mean, maybe my, my late to mid twenties. So, uh, and, and any person that we we see in successful positions, think of all the rappers. Mm-hmm. Every rapper that we love, someone else told them to love them, mm-hmm. told us to love them. Mm-hmm. So, even if it was your friend, exactly. Well, well like Drake. Mm-hmm. Well, Wayne. Mm-hmm. told us to love Drake. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean? kind of co-sign, yeah, for sure. Or Eminem with mm-hmm. Dre and, mm-hmm. and so on. And then Eminem with 50, right? Like it, the exactly. whole chain, you know? So to, to understand at that point in your life that the importance of mentorship, mm-hmm. I think, is a key. Yeah. Key Getting back to sort of what I what I knew then, um, I just knew that I needed to, to be in it. And if I can set the scene a little bit, okay, so I'm a freshman, I might be a sophomore, actually. Um, freshman, sophomore, something like that. I'm in a city that I don't have family in. My family didn't move with me. <laughs> and they ended up moving so many different times while I was in college. Um, so I literally don't have any family. I have one friend that I know um, that's even going to the school. And um, that was really all I had. And so you, what human beings need are networks, and you need tribes. And so I think that I didn't know, I didn't have language for this at the time, but I knew I needed to build a tribe. I knew I needed to build a network of people who were like me and had similar interests like me and were about that life yeah. and getting it. Um, and so there was this guy that 
called the line one time and he was like, oh, I'm looking for an intern. I have this management company. You know, um, these are the artists I manage. And I was like, oh, but I'll do that. Sure. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, I'll do that. He's like, okay, cool. Come to this place. There's a show. Da, 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 da. Cool. So worked with this guy for a little bit. Um, LinkedIn friends still, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember, I won't forget this either. There's, there's a guy um, uh, that was there because the show was Kids in the Hall. It was a group called Quelo that's not together anymore. But um, Quelo, who I was working with, and then Kids in the Hall, and then Knowledge and Consequence and some other people. And so um, this Kat Jamanopoli was there, and I, I met him the first time. And I was like, okay, cool. And then um, for my school, I started getting involved, like I said, in um, booking shows. I was the president of the student programming board. And um, I remember we wanted to do some beat battle stuff or whatever. And um, I asked John, his name is John John. I asked John John if he wouldn't mind doing that. At the time, he was the president of Good Music with Kanye, because when that was popping with Sony Music. So he was between New York and Chicago all the time. So he came and he did that. And then uh, one day he called me up and he was like, hey, do you want to intern for me? And, you know, I dropped the other group like a hot potato. And I was like, hell yeah, I want to intern for you. <laughs> and um, I said, but listen, though, I really, I was like, I really need to get paid. Um, and he set up a scenario where I was able to, basically I was doing two jobs, but I was able to get paid. And I did that through the summer and all this other stuff. So um, the other job that I had was working for, um, a guy named Mark Bortz. And, and, and that's huge. Yeah. Like starting off working for Good Music. Yeah. Well, it was it was it was Good Music and Hustle, period, which is the management arm that John John built. So yeah, it's amazing. I got connected to John John and Don C, and at the time, um, the other guys that Billy J was a part of that, and um, Eddie Blackman was a part of that, and Datu Faizan was a part of that, and a guy named Happy was part of that, and like, so those guys were like my first real like. These are, these are guys that are like, all right, Tiff, you know? And um, I I got introduced to those guys, but a lot of them were in, were in New York at the time, so I didn't actually get to meet them until I would come back to come to Chicago. And they came into Chicago because <laughs> the other job that I had, um, John John was opening a club uh, called Boutique in Chicago with Mark Bortz. And so I was working as Mark Bortz's assistant and working as John John's assistant. And part of my job with sports group was to basically open this club and book the DJs. And my job with John John was to make sure he was straight when he was in Chicago, but also um, to help manage the uh, the interns okay. that we had. So it was the intern managing the interns. Fun stuff. And then, um, which is also really funny because I, in school I was a senior RA, so it was like, which was like, whatever that means, the boss of RAs when you're an RA, I don't know. But um, at any rate, so we opened up the club and boutique and it was a big thing. Everybody wanted to get in, da da da. You know, I wasn't even 21 yet. I remember the night, the big opening night, you know, Puffy was coming, like all this stuff. Like there's so much there. But that's how I got involved in um, and got to know like Mustafa Rocks and Twilight Tone and Mano and Nigel and a Hollywood Holt and all these, the, the cool kids, like all of these young up and coming, you know, folks we all kind of like came up at the same time you know and I knew Virgil uh I knew Virgil you know when before you know before he was Virgil Abloh you know and I'm just so proud of him because you know I when I first met him he was an architect that was just wanting to 
get deeper into culture. And I remember introducing him to Manat. And, you know, there's just so many beautiful things that sort of happened between 2000, 2003 and 2007. Um, so many beautiful things. And I was just sort of like a part of that. Now, I, I never got too deep into anything, but I was just a part of that sort of connection and circle. And it was, it was really fun. So when, um, so when it was time for me to start thinking about what I was going to do after school, um, I told Manap and I was like, yo, um, I don't know what I'm going to do, <laughs> you know? And it's not like, and by the way, I love Manap and we have great, great, a great relationship. Um, I, I talked to him like almost every other month, but like this wasn't a situation where he was like, you know, yo, tell me what's going on. Tell me your problems. You know, like we just happened to have, I'm telling you the highlight reel. We just happened to have a conversation and he was like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was like, New York is going to swallow me up. I don't really want to move there. I, I want to have a job before I leave school. Maybe I'll go to Atlanta. I don't really know. Um, you know, at the time I think TI was popping and I was just like trying to figure it out. And um, I also had another event to do with the student programming board and we wanted to put a woman on the, on the stage and to share her story. And so, um, one of, one of the girls who I worked with on that, her name is, um, Brandra. She actually now works for Motown, but she, she recommended Mona Scott Young. And I was like, Oh, I don't even know who that is. And, um, I looked her up, figured it out. Manop connected me. He said, you know, she's down and, you know, get with it. (laughs) And, you know, she came and we connected, we vibed and, you know, the short story is I start working for Violator, which at the time was the management company um, that represented Miss Elliott and Busta Rhymes and Puffy and, you know, they did Mariah Carey, they had the Violator All-Stars, Tribe, just name a hip-hop person that mattered, they had it. <laughs> and, and also, too, for, for folks who are listening, we may not know who Mona Scott is because she is a beast mm-hmm. in the industry. Mm-hmm. A- explain who that is because this is a... a major opportunity that oh came your God. way it was so major mona scott young mona scott young is um someone who talk about something for nothing west indian haitian woman who really took missy elliott to stardom she took buster Raps to stardom she was the brains behind a lot of the operation of violator and um Chris is amazing, and it, Chris was amazing, and he is undeniably, like, the OG. But um, he got there with Mona Scott Young, and she is such a visionary and so incredibly um, deep and thoughtful and someone who I will always look up to and always um, and always adore, and if she ever needed anything in my life, I don't care what what's going on, I'd figure it out. There are certain people I would do that for. Her, Manab some other folks. Um, so Cambridge, Corey Cambridge, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, um, my third grade teacher. Um, (laughs) and, um, you know, she literally gave me like the bulls that I have in my house today is because she took me to a garage sale and did that. So basically when I moved from Chicago to Illinois, it was off the strength of her word. I didn't have a contract. We didn't talk about benefits. It was the strength of her word. And my parents were so confused by that. They were like, so, you're going to move because she said, you got a job? I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening. Um, and so she... And what was the position? I was her assistant. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I was her assistant. And um, 
there was no like second or third assistant. It was like, that was it. So it was really like a baptism by fire there. She's there. Mona's not slowing down for anybody. Like you got to just sort of jump on the train and figure it out and roll. (laughs) You got to jump on the train and roll. And, you know, she did have really great teaching moments and, um, you know, fun stories that I, I, um, was it maybe it was like I don't know I don't know how long I was working for at the time it wasn't a long time and um, my responsibility was making moving Missy around like making sure she got to where she was supposed to be and um, I fell asleep and um, I think Missy was trying to call me or people were trying to call me missed everything woke up saw all the phone calls missed calls called Mona shook I was so shook um, twenty one very shook, green, no experience. And Mona has a very distinct voice. It's, it's low, it's raspy. And I was like, Hey Mona. And she was like, Oh, did you have a good sleep? I was like, Oh, I'm screwed. I was like, I was like, please let me keep my job. (laughs) I just moved here. She's like, Oh, I hope you got a good sleep. Yeah. So I was doing your job when you were sleeping. Um, don't let it happen again. I was so upset. Yeah. So let me tell you how I slept on my Blackberry all the time. All the time. There was like, there, you couldn't catch me slipping after that. You couldn't catch me slipping. And um, it was one of those things where, you know, when you respect someone so much, like disappointing them is like earth shattering. Yeah, for sure. You know, and... In particular, you know, when you're in the service business, like management is a service-based business. So like you want to make sure that you're doing your due diligence, you're doing a good job and that you're making sure that shit's on point and, and, you know, everybody's happy. In my case, I happen to be having to serve Mona and I'm serving Missy and any other client she throws my way. So that's like double everything, (laughs) you know, um, and being, being young and naive, there's certain things that you, you can't teach experience. You just have to go through it. You have to go through it. And, um, I went through it, (laughs) you know, I went through it. There were things that I look back on now and I was like, yo, how did I take a, how did I take so many damn cabs when I was in my twenties? I was making 25 grand a year, maybe less after taxes. Like how was I, eating out like who was paying for this yeah (laughs) I was like I'm sure there was a few cabs I probably jumped out of but like you know it was all for the for the love for the experience I got I went to LA for the first time with Missy got to experience video shoots got to experience concerts got to experience so many contracts people what what, what video shoots were you you able to attend uh Chingling oh wow the Chingling video shoot that was fun um Grammy parties you know and from from your your perspective, what was it um, that you noticed about Missy that made her um, made her special as far as her work ethic? It was fun for her. It wasn't, you know, it's work. Hold up! What was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. For sure. But like, this was fun for her. Like, the video, sh- I mean, the video shoot and doing the dancing and all that stuff, like, it was, you could tell that she she had pure joy. Like, this is a part of what she loves to do. Um, you know, I was never in studio with her. I never had to, I never had to do that. Although that would have been fun. Um, I think she probably worked too late for me. I probably had to like, <laughs> yeah, you meant, uh, sleep. Don't, don't fall asleep. Don't, I was like, I could not fall asleep. <laughs> I would have some no dose. Um, but yeah, cause, cause what are the, what are the hours? Like, is it like an around the clock type of job? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so if you are asleep at three in the morning and you miss that call, like, yeah, I mean, your ass is grass. Wow. Like, I mean, depending on what it is, right? So, like, there's... And, you know, the other part of this is that, like, you know, to the industry, right? So, like, if there's some... If there's a mirror, there's, like... To the industry, you're the lonely, the lowly assistant girl. <laughs> you know, like... Right. Um, depending on who you're talking to. But, like, everybody knows that in the music industry, assistants are the gatekeepers. But, like, you know, your responsibility is to make sure every everybody else is doing what they're supposed to do so that you can make sure the car is there on time, make sure the, you know, the hotels get to go, make sure everybody, the incidentals are paid, make sure nobody, and not just her, the entire travel party. What happens if Missy's there, but the dancers aren't? Mm. That's a problem. You know, like when I'm doing the travel budgets, like when someone's like, Hey, what's the, you know, what's the all in cost for Missy to perform at whatever. I can't just think about Missy's fee. I have to think about glam. I have to think about, you know, the dancers. I have to think about the costume. I have to think about wardrobe. I have to think about nails. I have to think about makeup. I, I, there's like hair. The you know, I didn't even. I don't even wear weave, and I learned about weave. So much weave <laughs> I learned about just from working with an artist uh, who requires glam. You know, like there are so many things, so many levels to putting that on that you just don't, I didn't think about. No one really talks to you about that in um, college. No one says, hey, I'm going to need you to make a travel budget, you know, um, or a travel budget for a tour or, you know, no one talks to you about that part. So this is like on the job training at 21 that I wouldn't do, I I wouldn't have normally had. Meanwhile, you know, my friends are, you know, doing, um, maybe they're in internships or they're, you know, not, they're not doing travel budgets. I can tell you that. Right. (laughs) You know, um, I can tell you that they're not, um, trying to brainstorm what might make sense for, uh, you know, anything that's going to happen at midnight, (laughs) you know, or like how to figure out, you know, how to figure out how to like tell your boss that, the, uh, you know, the, the shit that she was planning isn't going to work out because the producer wants to do something else, you know, like all of these things. And cause you're going to get it, like how you're going to get the grunt of everything you're, and you, you might maybe one day get a thank you, you know, like, so that sort of stuff, um, that sort of stuff like sticks with you. And then, um, you know, there's, there's so many lows and highs and all of that, but I do know that like one of the things that I really 
figured out too is um, going back to Steve's advice is that this thing is a marathon. Like nobody has ever been in their quote unquote job forever. I mean, Mona was a part of building Violator and she left. Right. You know? Like there have been people that have built, you know, empires that have left and have done something else. Like this thing is a constant moving thing. Also too, what uh, I was talking to a friend yesterday. One thing we we're talking about was equality. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the what equality means to him, he was he's white, and what equality means to me. And I said, well, how often do you have, I asked him, how often have you had a black person cut you a check? (laughs) Like your salary check is paid by this, you have a black boss who cuts the check. Um, For you having a black female um, in that type of leadership position, um, how did that impact you and your career? And what did you learn from that and how did that impact you? Um, Mona's a master negotiator. I wish I was on more phone calls with her when she was getting busy um, doing that. And she made she made people. I will. She would say some of the most ridiculous things. I was like, you must really you have some balls. Like I would have never said that, you know. Because she's also you know she can be crass when she wants to be. And you know, I grew up you know with a southern mother and very like prim and proper and whatever. Um, but that was that edge that she had, you know, and I felt, I feel like some people can get away with that edge. I I don't think I'm one of those people that can get away with it unless like you take me there. Um, seeing Mona in that type of position, position that's been able to, um, create resources for other people. That's, that's who she is. You know, um, it's, I don't even think it's a scenario where she, I've never heard Mona say he owes me. She owes me. I've never heard her say that. And granted, you know, I'm not with her every day, you know, but like in the time that I was with her, she never had this like, call so-and-so, he owes me a favor. So when she gives or when she creates resources or when she, you know, alley-oops something to somebody, it's with a grateful heart. It's like, that's you. Yeah. That's you, boo. You know, and that is something that, I think is very rare in this business. And it's, it's something that, um, now granted if she was in a, I'm sure if she was in a bind, she would be like, Hey, (laughs) you hold me on the line. Right. There you go. Um, but I think we all would, we all would, that's, she, she, you know, but I, I do think there's something to be said about when you're doing business with people, um, you know, you do it with, with integrity and you, and you know, one of the, her company, um, Mona me, it's called Mona Meeks. It means a friend of mine. Like it's, she had decided at one point in her life that she's, I only want to work with people I know and people are my friends and people that, um, I respect, you know, and that's, that's legit, (laughs) you know, that's legit. Um, and I think she's been able to, um, she's been able to do that very successfully, obviously. And so you were there at Violator for how many years? I was at Violator, not, not even, not even two years. I was there, um, sort of half and half. I was there when Mona went to Mona me. So Lighty had to actually like fire me, which was funny because wow. Mona called me that morning and told me, <laughs> 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 she's like, Hey, listen, I don't think he's going to do it, but whatever. <laughs> and then, um, she's like, and so if he does, he's like, just, she's like, you know, lock up my office, come over. She had a, she had a whole nother office. 
<laughs> That's amazing. It was like literally nothing. So Chris happened to come in early that day. I'm like, and we had a fun receptionist and she was like, oh, Chris wants to see you. Chris never wants to see me, by the way. It wasn't like, I was modus assistant. So like, there was never like, hey, Tiff, let's hang out. Like, no, he would, he would, that was not a, a thing. So I was like, ah, dag, it is. But what's funny is I was listening to Little Wayne that morning. I was so, I was coming in hot. I was so like pumped up. Um, was that song, was it? Duffle, duffel bag boy. Duffel bag boy. I was okay. Duffel bag boy. I was. I was feeling myself. I was like, I never ran from nobody, and I damn sure I was on one. Um, and then you know, basically, he was like, "Yo, you'll be, <laughs> you'll be." Like, <laughs> and he just looked at me. I was like, "Yo, it's cool. What else is going on?" <laughs> we had another conversation. We had a, like, we talked about all these other things. Like, it wasn't even a. It was like, you just know what it is. Did he, did he ever say that you're let go? Yeah, he, he, I mean, he did. But it was just like, I thought this was going to go a little differently. Da, 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 da. He said his piece. And I was like, I mean, it's cool. I know. Like, and, and what was next for you, like, after that? Like, were you, were you like hurt? Like, quite, no. Quite, I was still working. I still worked for Mona. So I had to just go to her other office in Soho <laughs> and finish my day. That is awesome. <laughs> so I mean, but I always did that. So I would, I would do my nine to five at what was it called at Violator. Yeah. And then at five, I would have to go to Chicago. Chicago, dag. I have to go to Soho, and then like work like five to midnight, whatever. Whenever Mona decided to leave, and um, that was that was my life for a solid period of time, um, being in, in both places and spaces. And, and how did the transition happen from you going from? Um, from Mona to working with Steve, a translation. Well, I was like I said, I was young when I was working for Mona. So I was I was twenty one, and um, at the time I was still really. Um, Man, you were so young at this time. I was like, very this young. Is all this was like figuring wow. out. This was like figuring this out. Is college. So this was this was college. I had already graduated though. I had um I moved in the middle of my senior year of college, and then so in January I moved to New York. January two thousand seven. It's the only reason why I can keep up with it because it was the beginning of the year. Yeah. And then um, that May, I walked across the stage and then I went back to work. Wow. And I was saying, people were like, where have you been? I was like, working. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and um, I, I um, ended up working for Steve because there was a woman who was working for Mona at the time that was like, hey, you know, I know you, um, I know you're, you're trying to figure something else out for yourself. And she's like, this isn't for me, but it might be for you. I was like, okay, bet. And so I had this interview and um, I feel like I'm like writing a tell-all or something right now, but I had this interview and it was amazing. Um, and then, you know, maybe a week or two goes by or something like that. And, and I got hired and it was, I was so nervous because I mean, like I said, Mona literally gave me the, like, I have bowls in my kitchen because of Mona. Family barbecues, like super all about Mona Scott Young. Yeah. And I remember I wrote, I had note cards when I, when I went into her office cause I was nervous. I was not going to say what I needed to say. Um, and I was like, I need to talk to you. She's like, what? <laughs> and I was like, okay, so this has been great. And da, da, da. and I basically told her I was quitting. And she asked me like a true person, um, where are you going? How much are they paying you? What are your benefits? Like, it's just like, who's taking care of you from now? You know, like, yeah. it was really, it was really cool. And, um, you know, she also recognized that uh, it was hard for her, at, for where we were to be 
a teacher, a mentor and a boss like that. Those are, it's very hard to do that. And you, you know, you have to have people around you, um, that, that can do that. Cause there are things that she just didn't have time to teach me, you know? And, you know, it, it, sometimes when you don't have time to teach someone how something should be done, you can get frustrated. And then, you know, there's, you know, there's all that. So being able to recognize those, those nuances in the relationship, I think was, was really key for me. Um, I will say this though, the reason why I talk the way I do, especially on emails, because of Mona, Mona would make me, um, write an email, send it to her. She would edit it. She'd send it back to me and then I would send it. So literally like that level of detail, detail, like, so, and a lot of people, (laughs) a lot of my friends were like, still to this day, you're so business, you're so business. I was like, I literally would have to get my emails written by like Mona would write my emails like she would or edit my emails rather. So like I, I, this is how I write because this is how I was taught to write. Um, so business writing one-on-one with Mona Scott Young. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and then, you know, so then I, um, I ended up working for Stout. He didn't interview me. I, I got the job, but he didn't interview me. And then, you know, he is a very different from Mona, like incredibly different from Mona, um, just in terms of just they're different, you know, and it was a different type of per- person to, for me to get used to. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think the, it was easier for me to get used to him because I was already used to music business types, you know? And I think that he, was just such a genius in in everything. Um, but you had to sort of be able to cut through the bravado to understand what he was really saying. Because yeah. delivery is important to people. And sometimes, like, you know, if you're somebody that gets off-put by, you know, bravado and waving hands and loud voices, then, you know, that might not be the best place for you. But <laughs> um, working for him was I, was... I was working for him as an assistant for maybe like three years, um, which was interesting. And then, uh, for a year I was working in new business. Um, so I moved out of his office and was in a managerial role. And then, um, I, the, at the time, the social, um, at the time, sorry people, (laughs) you good, bro. I'm good. I'm good. Promise. Um, at the time, uh, social media was just becoming a thing in, in agencies. And so we started a discipline of social and he knew that I was always really into that. And so um, I transitioned into being in the strategy department, um, being in basically doing influencer marketing and, and what's real, the proper name is distribution and partnerships. Um, and and what, what was that like for you at, at this point in, in your career? You had been, you know, largely, a, a, you know, executive assistant. So working mm-hmm. along, alongside, mm-hmm. um, uh, the bosses. Mm-hmm. What was the transition like leaving mm-hmm. that position? Was it was it any nervousness or? Um, I wouldn't say that I was nervous as much as it was. Um, what did, what does everybody else do? Yeah, I mean, were, were you were you, <laughs> you more know? so ex- excited? Were you? Yeah, I mean, I was in Steve's ear like all the time. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, and um, for me, I knew I needed learn. I, I needed growth. I needed learning, and so I really pushed for that. And, um, you know, maybe in some ways tactfully and maybe some ways not as tactfully and very direct. (laughs) Um, and I was able to get that and I was able to get another mentor in that process that was able to literally teach me how to write strategy. 
Um, he's still my mentor, Marcus Collins. Um, and he's somebody who um, I knew. It's funny because I knew, but I, we, you know, he became my boss. And, you know, then I really got to, then I really got to know him and really got to understand. Um, I really got to understand what, what was sort of required um, to be, to, to complete the picture, you know, like, so it, at one level, I, you know, I can count all the change in your purse real good, you know, mm-hmm. like I can, I can think really fast and I can think um, about uh, positioning and I can think about all of these things. And I had all these relationships and all these networks that made sense at a bigger level. Right. But like, if I had an idea, if I needed to sell something, if I needed to sort of gut through the back door, I needed to be able to put my idea on paper and be able to walk a strategy from the beginning to the end and tell this story. And um, I needed to practice with that. So that was something that you can't get in anybody's EA position. You have to do that work. Someone has to teach you how to do that. Yeah. Um, I will also say that, you know, there's this thing about like identity that I think is really important. And you know, you have to, I knew for myself, I needed to create my own identity. I, I wanted to be able to stand on my own name. I didn't want to have to be like, oh, that's Mona's girl, that's Steve's girl, or that's whoever, you know, because that, that's what happens, right? Like, oh, who's that? Oh, they work, they work for Mona, they work for Steve. You don't even have value anymore. Your values associate with these people. And I knew I needed to create a different set of values mm. for, for myself that I could translate and I can present um, so that, I could be me. Mm. And um, there's a lot of unwritten laws in this thing. And this was sort of prior to, um, you know, this was prior to like (laughs) executive positioning and, you know, IG branding and, you know, all of this stuff. So, um, you know, when I went from, when I went from doing that into even, you know, building my own business, it was, a big piece of that was like, who is Tiffany and what do I want people to know about me? And like, what is this? Because today that I see on Instagram and Twitter and all these other places where people are like taking pictures of everything and everywhere and all the cool places that they are and, you know, with their boss and all this stuff. And there was a point in time where it was like, can you, I couldn't even imagine asking Steve to get into a picture with me or Mona to get into a picture with me and tweeting it. Like, are you out your mind? Yeah. Like, can't do that. No way. I can't imagine. There's some of the places I've been, some of the things I've seen. There's no way, no way I could talk about that or, you know, even tweet about that or whatever. And today it's like, you know, it's all out there. Right. And it's a part of like your stunt factor. Um, And I'm not really, like, I'm still not really with that, but. And I don't think I'll ever be with that because I think, you know, when you're in management and at the time, you know, when you're in talent management and you're, when you're dealing with people like that, you, you are uh, paid for discretion. You know, you're paid to make sure you do what you're supposed to do. Right. <laughs> you and, know? And, and so do you think, do you think that, that feeling of, you know, being Mona's girl or Steve's girl, um, which is something for any person <clears throat> um, to feel that way led you to want to start your own business? No. I wanted to start my own business before I even worked for anybody. Um, my mom's an entrepreneur and I knew that I, I always wanted my own, you know? Um, but I always knew, I was never naive to the fact that there was a path. I always knew that I'd have to lean on people and, you know, figure out how I can get there, you know? And I knew that I needed networks. I knew I needed connections and tribes and all this stuff. So, um, it was just a matter of time, you know? Um, what I didn't know, like what, 
I was at, you know, I went to translation at a, at a time when the music industry was really starting to lean on the advertising industry. I didn't, I didn't know that at the time, you know, I mean, at the time, you know, I was at Violator and Lighty was building brand asset group. Cool. Okay. Whatever that is. But that was on a different floor. Like we didn't talk about it. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. Like brands. Cool. Whatever. Um, Miss Kelly. So it wasn't until I went to translation that I really start to put the pieces together. Like, wow, culture really, culture really depends on the dollars and the investment of the advertising business. And the advertising business really depends on the, um, the currency of culture and, you know, they want to get under the nuance of it so that they're, 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 you know, sort of participating in the messaging that makes the most sense for these communities. Um, if you're doing it right. And translation was, you know, even by definition of the name was just a piece of that puzzle. And, um, so I've had, I've had my, I put myself in a lot of brainstorms and a lot of meetings. And so I was really able to get my mind to a place to be strategic and to, to understand, like, I have a part in this, like I can actually, um, and this is where the nugget of my idea, my business came from. It's like, well, I can work with brands and advertisers and talent to sort of un- help them understand like how these two industries play together and sort of what you need to do on the talent side to understand this a little bit better. Um, so when you're pitching uh, yourself, uh, it's not like, oh, well, I'm hot. You know, like I'm the, I'm the hottest artist right now. Like no one cares. Right. No one really cares. Like what does that mean to anybody else? Like, you know, there's some brand that'll pay for it somewhere, but like if your goal is to be, you know, strategic and amazing and, um, to be a a good, uh, to be a good partner with other folks and you can, you can literally create a strategy around that and pitch that and propose that. And so I wanted to do, I want to do more of that. I wanted to be a part of that. And so when I, um, started to think about leaving the company, it was, uh, at the time I was working with Karen civil and Chris Casanova and, and, producer named Kanai Finch and um, for a little bit Sam Sneak, um, which is Rick Ross's DJ. And then I think that was about it. Um, some other folks and ended up, um, you know, we have this sort of like management and marketing company and the company's called Guild Creative Group. And it was basically like Guild to Guild a Lily is like to turn something raw and beautiful and put a thin layer of gold over it. So the idea was that we were already taking things that existed in the world and helped polish mm-hmm. it up. And, um, when it was time for me to leave the company, I was at a place in my life where I was like, I need more there. Like at the time I was one of one, there wasn't like a trajectory, you know, for the position I was in. Um, and the, the company that (laughs) it's just kind of funny thinking about thinking back on it. When I told my boss at the time, I was like, you know, I, this is the job that I want. And I showed him, um, Stan Lumex used to work at an anomaly and I showed him the job, his job title and his description. And it was all about culture. It was culture for culture leaning, culture strategy. And I think I even, I think I even yanked his title. It was like culture engagement strategy or something like that. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And, um, you know, that position didn't exist. So <laughs> that, that's not it. I, I, he needed somebody that wanted the job. I needed somebody, I needed something that I wanted to do. Um, so, uh, we had split, we had split ways, but like, when uh, my company was already formed and I was already doing things, but like that was sort of the official, like, okay, let's, let's figure this out. You know, translation ended up being um, like my first client, but uh, it was one of those scenarios in that time where, you know, God moved again in my life and, you know, it was like, now's the time. And so I want to, I want to, 
close out on on an entrepreneurship mm-hmm. uh, angle. Mm-hmm. And what advice do you have for uh, folks that want to break into entrepreneurship? What have you learned? What was your greatest growing pain um, mm-hmm. in starting your own business and being your own boss? And and I guess another another question I'll ask: um, How has being a a um, woman and a black woman uh, in the business setting um, worked for you? It's totally worked for me. Um, being a black woman in the business setting has definitely worked for me because it's been able to. I'm also a different type of person where you know I I believe my sort of disposition is to help other people feel comfortable. You know, like I don't think anybody's ever walked away from a conversation with me and been like, oh, that was so uncomfortable. I do. No, I'm joking. Just joking. <laughs> you know, I, I enjoy people, you know, so I haven't really found that I've been like, oh, being black sucks today. Being a woman sucks yeah, today. Well, yeah. But. I mean, never, never that, but yeah. has there ever been No, a but point- there are people that really, like, that experience does happen. And it's something that I think, when you're doing certain things in business and in industry that are pressing um, the buttons, it, it can it can be a harder climb, you know. And it's not because that climb isn't valid or worth it or whatever. It's because you know you're you're potentially doing something that people aren't comfortable with yet, yeah. and so there are scenarios where that is difficult, very difficult. Um, what I'm saying is for me and, you know, my business of, you know, working with influencer marketing, that hasn't necessarily been my, been my experience because I think people have seen my resume and say, well, you know, I expect you to, to be good at this, right? you know, and I lean on you to be good at this and to have relationships and to, you know, whatever the case may be. So I'm, I'm trying to provide people with, um, a resource. So if I walk in the room and I'm the resource for, you know, other people or access or whatever the case may be, even strategy, then, you know, I don't have that battle. I don't have to have that battle, but, um, I know people that do. Now I can say that it's difficult for me sometimes to have to, um, validate. I hate validation. It's like, you know, I think we all do. It's just like, I want you, I want to say something, it's the truth and we'll move on, Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but I think it's a harder, it's, it's a harder rock to climb because I think that's the only thing. It's like, because when you're black and you're a woman and in general, you have to do this in general as a woman, but like when you have an idea or when you have um, a way that you know that something is going to work, um, you have to constantly validate that, you know? And that's annoying because someone could literally walk in the room and be like, we should do this. It's going to be great. Da 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 da. Everybody gets behind it. Yeah, like, well, how did that happen? Exactly. Like, how did that happen? I, I said the same, same shit. You Cause know, because I also find too in in like our industry of of you know kind of entertainment, even on the show, mm-hmm. it's been a, a challenge to even have um, a lot of women on the show. It's mm-hmm. a very male dominated industry mm-hmm. from the management side, from the A and R side. From yeah, there's tons of them. However, their their stories aren't wide wide and known, you know, and I think that that's the other thing I made it my business to, you know, find who, who are these people? Um, and can I find them in, you know, in other industries now, because of the way the business has been, you can find, um, an executive that works in all the, let's say North America tours and music and entertainment partnerships or whatever, um, at brands, 
you know, so it's not the only place to find these executives are not labels anymore. You know, yeah. they are in brands, they're in, you know, um, startups, they're in, you know, tech companies, they are, they're in all these different places now, um, because now there's room and more space for these folks to exist. And if they're not already doing their own thing and in their, in, in other companies, um, you know, Marcy Allen and Carol Luce are, they have a company and they're kicking ass and taking names, you know, um, Camille Hackney, um, you know, she's amazing. And, and her, Julie, Camille and Joy, um, they all work together. They're all dope. They're running the game. Lori Feldman, um, you know, I could probably rattle off a bunch more names, but like there, there are so many incredible women that have, that are doing their part in music, um, whether on the marketing promotion, A&R, management side of things. If you can get um, Karen Vizi up here, that would be dope. She manages Pharrell. Ooh, if, you, wow. if you can get Megan um, Megan up here, she works with Swiss Beats. But lastly, like, what, what advice do you have for, for folks who want to break into entrepreneurship in the um, entertainment or marketing industry? Like, what things have you learned uh, along the way and what were some... Um, some stumbling. Uh, you stumbling. cannot, I'm going to tell you what I learned. And I learned this at translation. Um, and this was the one thing coming from Steve's office and into another role where it's like, people cannot be unclear about how to work with you. Like I need to know. And even though it's annoying and even though it's like, ugh, you know, just let me do me or whatever the case may be, you have to represent a value to somebody and if you're able to articulate said value, um, then you're able to, people can, can stick that in their heads and, you know, you can share the other things or whatever, but like be clear about not just who you are internally and altruistically, but like be clear about what you bring to the table and what your value is. You know, it's like, I'm Tiffany Harden. I work with brands and advertisers on the influencer marketing strategy. I help bring these cultural messages and brand messages together for powerful campaigns. I think that's literally what's on my website. Like you have to be very fucking clear. And if at minimum, the only thing that anybody has ever gotten from that is she works in influencer marketing. Boom. That's yeah. it. That's it. Not like, Oh man, you know, I do some video. I do some of this. I do some of that. I just, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know how to work with you. Yeah. I, I don't know how to work with you. And I've gotten more checks from people even thinking they may have an idea of what they think that I do <laughs> and me having to like help them refine that than them just be like, I don't even know. Well, you know what? So I think people don't, we're living in an era now where I think folks have to start to realize that we are our own little brand mm -hmm. as a person, mm -hmm. um, whether you work for someone else or not. No, totally. Mm -hmm. I mean, so like even being able to pivot you know, like if something's not working for you, being able to pivot, you know, I, I've had to do that. You know, I stopped managing, like I, I really stopped managing talent and I didn't want, I didn't want people to think of me as just a talent manager, even though my, my biggest part of my life has been that, like at this point I've been working with brands and advertisers more, but like, I didn't want someone, I, I, I still hate when people are like, Oh, can you manage me? And I'm like, I can't, but I might find somebody else that can. And it's not because management isn't in my DNA because it is. It's just, I choose to use those skill sets a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So there's a, one person that I am working with that I do manage and I'm not, um, 
but it's a big, it's a bigger picture type of thing. And, uh, it's, Corey Gambridge. <laughs> it's, um, a woman named Lauren Ash for black girl and Ohm. And, okay. but what I'm doing with her is creating, um, you know, strategy and business development and an investment value proposition. Like I'm, I'm thinking of the biggest picture mm-hmm. and it's not like just whatever the pennies on the dollar is, whatever that is. Like, I'm not just thinking about that. Although that's nice and that's beautiful. I'm thinking about like, if we're, if we're going to elevate this, what does that look like? And who should we be getting in bed with for that purpose? I don't first, but I only got there and it took us like a year for me to even get to that. And she wanted me to do that a year ago. And I was like, I'm not ready, but it took me a year to get to that only because my life had to change. And I wasn't really in a position where I wanted to work with influencers or talent in general. Um, Cause talent management is a burnout and it's thankless. And it's something that you, you have to really just be about. Right, <laughs> and right. um, I, I wasn't interested in that and you don't get paid enough for that. So Anything in life at this point, you got to be about it. You got to be about it. You got to really be about it. Someone, you know, the saying is if it's a, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no, (laughs) you know, and, um, as my life started changing and I started getting deeper and deeper into my wellness, um, journey, I was like, well, I want to work with somebody who's in that space that I can identify with that I want to see more of. And, um, you know, Lauren's been featured in Glamour, Marie, Claire recently, um, She's, we just signed her as a Nike, um, a Nike trainer in Chicago. That's where she lives, you know? And by the way, Chicago just keeps calling me back sometimes. It's, it's kind of crazy. Like there's not been a scenario where I'm like, you know, I haven't been, I don't go to Chicago often, but like my most favorite people are from Chicago. Kind of mine too. If not from Virginia, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So it's one of those things where I'm like, Chicago is always going to be in my heart and Chicago always is something that's going to um, be a part of my journey and part of my story in my future story, you know, just from even just this scenario that's happening with, with Lauren. And um, it's really exciting to know that like, you know, the places that I claim, you know, really, you know, really warm my heart. There are people there that I genuinely love in Chicago. And that's just like a special, very special city and a special place. Tiffany, thank you so much for coming through. <laughs> you were the best. Corey. Honestly, you're the best. Thank you so much for that. I really, I'm going to take that compliment. You already know. You already know. Thank you so much for coming through. Thank you. Silent Giants. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much to the Silent Giants behind this episode of the Silent Giants podcast. This episode has been mixed by Mark Bird of NBM Studios, located in Astoria, Queens, NYC's number one recording studio for music, podcasting, and other audio recordings. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at NBM Studios NYC. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off till next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.